Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we are thrilled to have our second interview with Peter Block. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Very bad. I'm so looking forward to this. I am too. I've been prepping for the show for a while. I think I started too early. My head is hurting, so I have to like rein it back in. Um, and but let me read him in, and we'll, we'll we'll get started on on the conversation. Peter Block is an author and citizen of Cincinnati, Ohio. He is a partner in Design Learning, a training company that offers workshops designed to build. The skills outlined in his books, his books include Flawless Consulting, Stewardship, The Answer to How is Yes, Community, The Abundant Community, and much more recently, Confronting Our Freedom, Leading a Culture of Chosen Accountability and Belonging, which will be the primary source of our conversation today, or, or maybe it won't be. Maybe we could, could, go, could go a lot of ways. Uh, Peter, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. <clears throat> Give well, me a second chance. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, always. We're going to jump right into the hard stuff. Um, this is not a, a, an, an easy book. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's challenging. Um, and one of the things that you say straight out, I think, quoting Peter Kosterbaum, is that the cost of freedom as, is anxiety. This is not a great value proposition. Talk to, <laughs> talk, to, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, organizational life promise the main promise is safety and predictability you work for us we will take care of you that's the that's what the traditional contract for years and years and years you know as far as people uh, being independent professionals it's, it's trying to renegotiate that contract but that contract's appealing you know anybody offers me safety that that's what school offers if you get good grades we're going to take care of you you go to college we're going to take care of you you come to work for us you know, and so the whole thrust of the culture is for safety in exchange for kind of a getting on board. And so to talk about freedom uh, is to is to take a risk. And, and, and you have to acknowledge that there's a price you pay for your freedom, and the price is anxiety. Now, the challenge is that all performance, all imagination, if I took seriously how this show was just introduced, that there's something going on in the mind that maybe creates space for imagination, uh, that won't happen without our freedom, without my choosing. Uh, and it doesn't mean everything's going well. It just means that if once I decide that I can create the world I want to inhabit, then the mind goes to work. If I decide I'm here to create something you have in mind, which I was as a child, necessary. Once I decide I want to create something you have in mind, then the mind the mind takes a nap and says, "Tell me what you have in mind. How am I doing? Give me some feedback. Could I please have an annual performance review? Hopefully you'll. And I want to be number one. 
Okay, I've been competing all my life. Now tell me what I, that is a low performance culture. And that's why we want to automate as fast as we can. And, uh, and, and it doesn't create a future and it doesn't create performance. It doesn't fulfill a customer except in something that you can do the same every time. And that got automated a while ago. So that's. We, we've talked about that. We've done many shows on, on get, getting rid of the annual performance appraisal because uh, it, it does, it, it doesn't do the one thing it was designed to do. And that is improve performance. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's control masquerading with an incentive of making things better. And nobody wants to do it. Human resources has to command. If you don't do it, we won't get you a pay increase. I, I tell people, just tell them I'm not interested. If you want me to sign something, I will to demonstrate. Anyway, but it, it persists. Yes, it does. And and one of the things that, that you write and here the sentence early on in the book is, as long as we think accountability is reluctantly chosen – and therefore requires force to come into being. We are unintentionally creating a breeding ground for entitlement. But I want to talk about this. We can break that sentence down, and it's 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 an incredible sentence. But why do so many leaders think that accountability is reluctantly chosen when that flies in the face of all of the evidence <laughs> that we see? That's yeah, a beautiful question. So we're going to spend the rest of our lives making sense of your question. It's one thing, it shows that evidence is not persuasive. If I tell you, here's seven things you can do to increase performance, but you have to give up control, most leaders will say, thank you, I'll take the control. And the second thing is we've constructed leadership as a vision quest, as a desire to be on top, you too. My son and my daughter can grow up to be president. So as soon as you create competition, who doesn't want to be on, on top of the leader? We've used parenting as a role model. And it's, 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 and again, it's a soft way to control people. You know, I don't want to control you. You think I like this? I don't. But look, at this is in your best interest. Anybody who knows what's in my best interest wants to own me. It's colonial. To think I know what's best for you is a colonial instinct. Now, you can soften it, sweeten it, dress it any way you want to go to the party. I love you. I've been there before. I understand you. And most leadership training is to try to be a good coach. And it's got this silly language. What do you do? I grow people. Really? So you're a gardener and I'm a weed? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no. This is a, One of the things a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, I remember a conversation I had with my wife. It was just before we, uh, I think we had, uh, she become pregnant for the first time and she started reading parenting books and I was still reading business books. And one of the things we decided was, is this really just the same book? They just replace parent and child with employee <laughs> and leader. <laughs> that's, that's a huge insight. And, 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 and parenting is a recent idea. You know, that's only 100 years old. So parenting has become a profession. We've professionalized parenting. And the fact that none of the theories work is irrelevant. 
you know, I, if you, if you, who raised who? Have you had children? Who's in charge? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's pretty clear early on. <laughs> I know children, and 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 that thought is powerful. If the student, you know, teaches the teacher, if the employee uh, builds the business, if the child creates the parent, it takes us somewhere. It puts real accountability and say, look, you're creating this business. I want you to act as if you're an owner and we're not talking about shares. What, what, and so it, it forces us to partner with each other and puts the parent to sleep. And I'd like to, you to expand on the second part of that sentence, too, because this is the, the part that was more difficult for me to grasp. But when we, we say it requires force, we are unintentionally creating a breeding ground for entitlement. Well, when I give up control, okay, in, in exchange for safety, it, it, it doesn't set well in my own mind and soul. And I think, well, I gave up. And I know I did it because they have this thing called compensation. Well, to compensate is to make up for something. And yet we treat it as an incentive system. And so I begin to feel, boy, I've given up a lot of autonomy and choice. What do I get back for that? And, comp and the pay, the compensation is just the beginning. And look what I did for you. And, and we have a culture of entitlement. It's, it's the outcome also of a consumer culture. Can be a consumer means I can purchase anything I want. I don't have to produce it. And I think what you show when you talk about soul is to say, how do we support people in being producers of their future, producers of their business, producers of their outcome, mm -hmm. and not wait for somebody else to come along. And uh, yeah, one of one of the the things that I've reflected on in my my intention statement, per, per, purpose statement, Simon Sinek calls it a why. Is it that I I believe that entrepreneurs continue the work of creation. Beautiful. Just stop right there. Yeah, and that's where exactly. I usually stop. <laughs> no, that's a beautiful statement. If you believe that, okay, it changes everything. Then does does the market, does the world, is it asking for something unique, or does it want the same old thing? And if it's asking for something unique, then you are. Then all of us have to act as if we're co-creators, which is what entrepreneurship is at heart. Yeah. And risk and risk taker, right? There's a yeah, element of risk in there too. The nice thing is you're at risk no matter what you do. <laughs> the wish for safety is an illusion. And so why not choose an illusion that better serves you? You know, and, and, and what you, anyway, keep going. I interrupted you, which. No, you, this, this is great. Uh, and we um we've had a guy by the name of George Gilder on who has an information theory of some of of uh, the economy. But one of the things that he talks about is that time is effectively the measuring stick for everything because time. If you go to the the uh, the science, they'll say that you know you a meter is the amount of light that time that travels over a certain period of time, and everything really does come back to time. And you there's this great sentence that you have in there that I, that, I, that I just stop after reading it every time. Time has become a scarcity, and I think, but it perhaps it always has been. 
<laughs> Maybe it doesn't or, become a scarcity. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, it becomes a commodity in and of itself now. What's interesting is we made it up. There's no such thing as a day. Pope Gregory in 14-something decided for the sake of commerce, okay, here's a month. Here's a day. Here, this is what an inch is. This is what a meter is. So we, we, we constructed this notion and the whole business case for the modern culture is save you time. And, it, and it's interesting, the older you get, uh, with the less time you have, the more patient you become. So explain that to me. And so I, I think time is, is a, it is the measure, as he says, but it's not, it's a false measure. Like how you're sitting in a dentist chair, how long is a minute? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. You're in love, how long is a week? Too short. And so there's a, you know, the whole time thing. Time and speed are wonderful things to. Yeah. Well, closing out the segment, I'll just say that the, relating time and parenting, the, the, the saying is, is that the, the, the days are long, but the years are short. <laughs> Boy, beautiful. <laughs> I know, so. especially looking backwards. Right. Right. Well, the, the book is Confronting Our Freedom by Peter Block. Uh, we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. I want to remind you that you can, can rate this podcast by going to this great website, ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. And that's where you can rate the podcast. We love to have you rate us. It helps other people find it. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're here and we're honored to be here with Peter Block, the author of Confronting Our Freedom, a book that I think we're going to be hearing about later on uh, because it's going to be in my top five books of the year, I'm sure, if not number one. Peter, I was looking, trying to find the right word. This book is resplendent. Mm. And what I mean by that is it, it shines brilliantly. Really? Because you bring, you're bringing a language that you never hear in a business context, conversations about freedom, anxiety, free will, evil, death, guilt. Um, usually we try and avoid these words in a business concept or context because they're so scary. And yet here you are writing about them and applying them, not only to business, but just to human beings in general. I just love that. That's a wonderful thing to say. Thank you. I, and that's my intent is to bring them into the conversation because they are another way of describing our experience. And it's not going that well, okay? The, the, the experience of being part of businesses. Uh, why are people reluctant to go back to the office? And it's not travel time. And it's not clothing and it's the the office represented something you just thought you could never get away from. And even the most benevolent and paternalistic of offices, the ones that have foosball machines, it's, it's, they're still organized around control and consistency and predictability. And that produces anxiety. It produces uh, fear. Things fail. So why not legitimize that conversation? And in doing that, it, it lets us get past it because you hear people saying, why are you so cynical? Why are you so upset? Well, something happened to be five years ago. Well, if you talk, if we could talk about it, it would have been gone four and a half years ago. And so I think there's a place to thank you for what you said. It's really means the world to me. Well, you wrote philosophy offers the possibility of providing new ways to explore old ground. Mm -hmm. And it's not the language of the engineer or the economist. It places meaning and experience first. And every time Ed and I get philosophical in front of a business audience, everybody says, just show us how to do it. Be more practical. You're not giving us the how to's and it just drives us crazy. Well, uh, don't let it drive you crazy. It affirms your sanity. If they start appreciating what you do, you're going to ask yourself what happened to us. <laughs> okay. And, and the point is they bring you in because you do it without being mad at them, without blaming them. And, uh, and their wish to, for how to do it means their expectations are too low. That's all. They're worshiping too small a God. And, and then people will come to a workshop. Would, would you, why, why was it important for you to be here? And they say, I want to pick, pick up a couple of tools. Well, I've got a workshop. And most of the tools I've never used. I just love tools. And so they're tool collectors, which is fine. But I, I just never try to, we're not here to meet people's expectations. 
And they're not here to meet customer expectations either because they're too low. And the expectations are something simple. So I, I feel people, when they say, I want to get practical, I say, I understand. And I feel for them. And, but I don't want to be guided by that. They, they don't bring you in to be more practical. And so it's a funny kind of resistance that you don't want to take personally. And every leader that tries to bring about change is up against the same thing. You know, uh, and, and the other thing you're affirming is that language is powerful. Okay, in the beginning was the word. And all transformation is linguistic and people want to change culture. Then you say, well, what's the conversation we haven't had yet? And people say, why are you bringing philosophy into business? Because I thought you wanted an alternative future. I thought you thought change was required. Well, if you believe that, then you say, what's the conversation we're not used to having? What are the words that we're uncomfortable with? And what we're giving them is a dictionary and ask them to talk about what doubts do you have? What's the forgiveness you're unwilling to offer? What? Because, uh, and all of it is confronting people with choice. That's why I put the word confronting into this remake of a, of a prior book. Because uh, choice is what creates the future. And you see signs of it, the stay at home. Crypto in its early days was to get rid of the, the sovereignty of government, of intermediaries. And so the longing is there. What you're doing with your program is giving them a means that's accessible instead of it just being a dream or waiting for retirement or treating life as if it's a bucket, okay, waiting to be uh, approached. And I, I think that's the offer you're making with this program. You know, when you were talking about uh, stay-at-home work versus going, why don't people want to go back? You, you said it beautifully in the book because they're not allowed to be themselves at work. I, I think right. that gets to the heart of it. Yeah, it's really a great line. the The other big topic you take on, and wow, this this one really made me think, was you talk about anxiety, and of course Peter Kostenbaum, the the person that you're quoting from his work, and then adding these brilliant insights around his work. He says anxiety is the price you pay for your freedom, and we tend to think of anxiety as something you need to fix. But boy, if we, like you said at the start, if we always felt safe. I think university professors with tenure, we wouldn't be as adventurous, wouldn't would we? I mean, anxiety is just part of the human condition, right? And uh, we're we get anxious about being anxious, and then we think it can it's a problem to be solved, <clears throat> or we can medicate it, or better leadership will solve it because the the employee, the professional, colludes with the parenting, with the promise. And, and it says, good, I, I want to get rid of my anxiety instead of using it. I, for years, I got very anxious when I had to give a talk, okay? Because I knew I wasn't dynamic or motivational or interesting, and I knew I'd be exposed. And so 
and then after a while, I started to say, maybe that anxiety is a sign that I'm alive. And if I could reframe it as something that energizes me, then I could embrace it and I'd just be anxious instead of being anxious about being anxious. And uh, I mean, you get this perfectly. What you're taking from the book is the point. And because and, and, it's all there, businesses, organizations are a human system. Even if it's 98% AI, AI is interesting, but just because something's amazing doesn't mean it's important. Doesn't mean it, it solves anything fundamental. And so they're human systems, and we're trying to say, can we be uh, smarter? about how we construct these human systems. And, uh, and I think that everything in this book came from my experience with a business and an executive who got this. You know, the whole conversation of freedom and how to think about failure and stuff like that all came from executives that decided they were going to run their business differently. And they were very successful. And of course, as soon as they move on, whoever replaces them goes back to the paternalism and the safety. And uh, it was interesting. One of my clients was Philip Morris for a while. Hmm. And some of my friends, I invited him in to work with me. And they said, I'm not working for a cigarette company. Well, I think, good. I want to work with a cigarette company. I want to be in an unexpected place. And they lied to their friends about where they worked because there was so much shame associated with a, a product that hurts people. And the work they did was to help get, let people say, let's talk about how we feel about working. You know, of course, we're making a, a product. Finally, they came around and said, yes, we're going to do something about it. And to me, Philip Morris became an extremely socially responsible company. And you say, but what about their product? Well, come on. The people making guns and military, what about their product? So I just think, the world is waiting for a conversation about what doubts do you have about what you're doing? What, what anxiety, where does that occur for you? What's not working? Every study I've ever seen about investments that didn't pay off, people knew early in the game it wasn't going to work. Why didn't you say something? Are you kidding? And so I think if you can get people used to talking about what they're anxious, what they have doubts about, their ambivalence, talk about failure, you know, uh, failure is an option. Why don't we just acknowledge that? Right, because it doesn't mean death. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and and who's to say, people, you know, I'm getting older. It's a poorly kept secret. And they say, well, it's better than the alternative. And my answer is, who's to say, you know? And so, I mean, and, uh, there's no shame in failure. It's the denial of failure that's manipulation. What you're doing in your work is to give people an alternative to that. And just on this anxiety topic, I know you, Peter Costamon, made a distinction between existential and neurotic anxiety. Mm -hmm. And existential is just part of us. But he, then he says, anxiety is the experience of all creativity. 
I mean, right. all creative acts, artistic, loving, scholarly, scientific, come from anxiety. That's kind of a fascinating view. Yeah. I agree. And anxiety is the essence. The essence of it is not knowing. To be anxious is to worry about something that hasn't happened yet. And depression is looking backwards. Anxiety is looking forward. And uh, but not knowing is a wonderful state of being. You know, and and the, the but the, my feeling for managers is when people have questions of them that put them in the position of parent or God, all they have to say is, I don't know. And the employee says, well, that's not the kind of leader I'm looking for. And then you say in return, how do you think I feel? I'm, I'm, I'm not the parent you had in mind. I'm not the leader you had in mind. And so to me, it's not knowing becomes an institutional asset. And the smart ones knew that. You also talk about free will in the mm-hmm. book. And I, I just love you, you, you construct the scenario where somebody asks the boss or the leader, what's in it for me? And your answer would be good question. Not one I can answer. I love that too. What's going to happen to me? Uh, nothing comes to mind at the moment. And the, the honest answer in the boss is, what the hell is going to happen to me? I, you know, you're second. Get in line. And, and, and as soon as I ask another human being, what do you foresee for me? I've surrendered my integrity, my autonomy, my sense of self. And, uh, and then I have to find it in other places. Work is too important. It takes up too much, wherever you're doing it, for me to give over a part of myself. In the, because the work is waiting for me to not know. And anybody who offers you a predictable future wants to own you. And that's not why you get paid. I get paid as an exchange. I don't get paid. Uh, I'm not purchased. We have this funny language. Like you say, well, you know, we have a talent acquisition. Okay, every HR department has a talent acquisition group. And I think, well, when was I bought? And so that all that language, HR feeds the paternalism. If I wrote this book for any function, it would be human resources. Because they become the delivery system of paternalism, the delivery system of empire. And it just doesn't work. You know, now some, there's some commodity businesses, but even the commodity businesses uh, have to be imaginative about how to, you know, do it quickly, more cheaply. And, uh, and so these ideas fit with people's experience. It's just not the way we speak. And the reason you two have microphones in front of you is you know that speaking is decisive. Speaking matters. All future comes from begins with a thought and a word, and that's why you're. That's what you're doing. That's the gift you are. I love that. Wow, that's powerful. I love the other thing you said too, and talking about driving change like it's a car. 
That's another <laughs> great line, by the way. So Peter, this is just fantastic. Unfortunately, we're up against our break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can subscribe, get our bonus content. And that is at patreon.com slash TSOE. That channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. Got 90 Minds? Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercial commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are back on the soul of enterprise the book that we're talking today is confronting our freedom leading a, cho- a culture of chosen accountability and belonging and we quote have the author <laughs> today <laughs> <laughs> Peter Block. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Peter, I'll let Ron get back to that previous uh, conversation, but I, I want to ask you about something that, that really struck me. And this is in, in the, the, the chapter on speaking of death and evil. And you say, one of the gifts of the scientific method is that it teaches us that failure is as valuable as success, that discovery comes from being surprised and that if we desire to grow, we need to embrace accidents, moments of unpredictability, and a learning opportunity rather than treating them as a source of shame. That, that to me, was one of the most powerful statements in the book because mm-hmm. we talked about entrepreneurship being risk. Creativity, innovation always comes as a, a surprise. Otherwise, a planned economy would totally work, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and uh what predictability does, it steals our sense of aliveness. And everything you try to create or imagine future requires a quality of aliveness. There's an architect named Christopher Alexander who changed my life. 
And he said that every room has to have certain qualities so you feel alive when you enter it. So one question you could ask the workplace or the work that you do is, do we encourage a quality of aliveness or do we want a quality or a culture of predictability? And it, it always shocked me when consulting that you could do an analysis of a company, interview people, everything. And the first response you would get after you tell them what the problems were is they would say, I'm not surprised. As if they were more worried about being surprised than any kind of suffering that was occurring under their tenure. And so I, I do think that, and, and surprise doesn't have to be manufactured. You don't have to be a, uh, have a charrette or have a special kind of timeout or a retreat. You know, what does it mean to go on retreat? Okay, we need to think, we need to have a thought. I got an idea, let's go on a retreat. Well, what are you retreating from? You know, and, and so you say, how do we bring aliveness into our day-to-day -day way of being? It's not a life without structure. You still give order to the day and the path, and, but you don't demand predictability. And there's nothing more frightening than certainty. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's certainty. It's acting as if I know, acting as if I must be right. And I, I don't know, I just think that's the woundedness of a culture is its longing for certainty. The attraction of an autocratic leader is the wish for certainty, the inability to realize that I have to create the world I want to inhabit. I can't look for someone else to do it for me. Now, do I want to guess a good leader? And I think that's the, the wish for certainty is a huge vulnerability and extremely attractive. And then science promises that, but except the scientist knows different. Yeah. And, and, and evidence is way overrated. You know, everybody <laughs> wants evidence-based practice. Why? Nobody follows it. <laughs> what, what did Richard Feynman say? That, that, that science is the belief in the ignorance of experts? <laughs> really? Yeah. And every scientist will own up to that. <laughs> it is. The expertise is overrated. You know, and uh, that's the consumer in us. That's why I call myself a citizen. Citizen is somebody who produces the community, produces their own well-being. I just, uh, there's another book I just finished, and the subtitle is Reclaiming Control Over Our Collective Well-Being. And so that's part of the notion that until I can deal with anxiety and death and live with failure and not be too judgmental about it, uh, I'll never be in charge of my own well-being. I'll always have to wait for someone else. And uh, that. That's why the vote is the smallest version of democracy around. You know, the democracy means that we're going to create our well-being together. And for a business, that's what happened. That's the real. That's what really happened. Yeah. I want to get your reaction to a, a, a quote that I came across a number of years ago from the, the philosopher Eric Hoffer. Mm -hmm. um, who said that that social stagnation comes not 
from a lack of answers, but from a lack of impulse to ask new questions. And I know that you've done an awful lot of thinking about questions in your career. What, what, what are some of the, 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 the deeper questions that you find that are, are good places for folks to start with this stuff? Either ask themselves or others. We, we only have two weeks to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's four minutes left in the segment. Go. That's a, that's a lifetime, okay, since, since I'm constructing time. What's the cross? You want questions that in the answering, I, be, I become a player, an agent, an actor. What's the crossroads mm. you're at at this stage of the game? Yeah. What doubts do you have? What have you said yes to you no longer mean? Now, you can do that with a business. You can do it with your life. As soon as I, if I can't say no, my yes doesn't mean anything. So there has to be a conversation about doubts, uh, uncertainty. What's the gift you've yet to bring into the world? Every team needs to say, what's the gift that we uniquely hold? And to what extent are we bringing it into this business? Are we? Because the, the discussion of deficiencies tells you what not to do. So it's paralyzing. You tell me what I'm doing wrong, the best I can do is stop it. It doesn't tell me what to keep doing. So the gift conversation in any form, you shouldn't have to die before you have a eulogy. You shouldn't have to retire to find out what you meant to this place. And so conversation of gifts, crossroads. Purpose, what, why was it important? I've given my the life, in a sense, defining questions that work, that take us somewhere, that put us in motion. I don't want questions that provide a destination, even though we have to decide what to do tomorrow. We're going to figure that out. You know what you're going to do. This show will be over, and life will go on. But why not have a show that you don't know what the hell's going to happen? And that's what that's what's alive about the two of you. <laughs> well, one of one of the things that Ron and I were, were joking about with this book was it, it, we've highlighted so much of it, it would have just been easier to cross out the stuff that we didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> And there's not much. There's not much. It means a lot to me, you saying that, because you... you you know, if ever there was a moment where the imposter syndrome, syndrome came true, it's in the publishing of a book. Not only the, I mean, you just have to talk yourself into putting it out there because you know what it's not. And so the fact that you liked it means a world to me, really. Well, thank you for your work. And Ron's going to take you the rest of the way home in the last segment. But um, wanted to remind our li- listeners that they get hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. This third break is sponsored by my employer, Sage. told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. 
These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're talking with the author of confronting our freedom peter block and peter you, you nailed me on this you said uh you know our bookshelves are stuffed with books on how to live forever and how to solve this problem and that problem. Um, but we never ask what's the point of all of this, <laughs> which I thought was, a, which was really, really insightful. Um, but I want to ask you about your general philosophy about solving problems, because what I find interesting about this is if we solve, pro- if all we're doing is solving problems and that's what so much of business focuses on, we're just feeding our failures and starving our opportunities. And worse, we're, if we, once we solve the problem, we just revert back to the status quo. We don't advance the organization or the people in it. What's your take on that? Well, I, would, I don't want to argue against problem solving. I just don't want it to be a version of who I am. I am so much more than a problem solver, and I want to solve problems. A business is so much more than an answer machine. And the the question is, do you want tomorrow to be any different than yesterday? Do you want the future to be distinct in any way from the past? And if you do, problem solving won't get you there. Because problem solving is engaging in something that's predictable, that's proven, and it's a good thing to do. But it doesn't define us. It's not all that I am. And when you use the word soul in the name of your program, you're honoring that that the humanity of organized effort. And without honoring that humanity, eventually tomorrow is going to be just like yesterday, and it will be gone. And uh, I think you're, you're, what you're doing is asking for aliveness to matter. Aliveness comes from unpredictability, comes from variation. 
but it's not an argument against problem solving. It's just that it won't create an alternative future. And, and right. most people want things to get better. You can't get better by doing more of what we've been doing. This is the commercialization of the soul. This is why you had to use the word soul to make a point, even in the naming of your show. Because if you want things to get better, you can't just keep doing. And we have cliches for that, you know. But it's very hard to shift my thinking. And to shift my thinking, I need to be comfortable with a stranger. The enemy of aliveness is like-mindedness. And our wish for like-minded people is our desire not to be surprised in our fear of the stranger. And when you tell me this enterprise needs to have soul, well, it begins by welcoming the stranger, by bringing in people who see the world differently than we do. And don't call it polarization. You know, uh, the book I just finished, I wanted to call it, We Are Not Divided. Now, do we see the world differently? Absolutely. So what? Why do I conclude that to be a problem? Maybe, and somebody said the, the opposite of every great idea is another great idea. The opposite is also true. And I think that's, that's one version of, of what soul feels like and looks like. So I don't want to argue against problem solving, but don't tell me that's who you are. And men have, have a tendency. I'm a problem solver. And people say, uh, when I run workshops, we often say, okay, we're going to solve problems, but we'll do it tomorrow. This first session, let's just explore things, raise questions, stuff. We'll get to problem solving. And my goal is to postpone problem solving as long as possible. Because the longer you postpone it, the better chance something new. Now, people say, I don't want anything new. I want to make the same thing over and over and over again. A friend of mine was consulting with the Michael Jordan distribution system. Well, they ship 1.2 million pairs of Michael Jordan shoes every month. And so you say, well, boy, they're into predictability. Well, the amount of variation it takes to get those shoes out the door is unbelievable. So even though you say we're doing the same thing over and over and over again, the way that you do it needs the imagination that the two of you represent. And, uh, and that's what comes to you need some other way of a question that takes you somewhere. A willingness to be surprised and a willingness to not know. And to leave a meeting without a list. I mean, talk about religion and spirituality. My God, you can you can go to hell if you leave a meeting without a list. And and come into a meeting without an agenda. Are you kidding? You're risking everything. I'd rather go go on a starvation diet than leave a meeting without a list. That's great. You know, I want to read something that you wrote that I just love because this is going to so resonate with our audience. Entrepreneur, this word captures the act of creating something out of nothing. If we are willing to accept that beginning a venture requires this freedom, we should ask why once it gets established, our faith and freedom dwindles, controls are needed, professionalism must be installed, rules and regulations must be defined. 
<laughs> Frederick Taylorism is alive and well. Um, this yeah. just resonates with us completely. I, why do we think that we must sacrifice freedom for the sake of scale? Because we're afraid of losing control. We don't trust what God is here. We think we achieved, we invented something by accident. And uh, that's, the, that's the business school mythology. My goal is to run a philosophy course in a business school. I want to run a, have a business course on the common good and take seriously the notion of social responsibility. But the business mentality is you can't grow without control. And it, it's it's just crazy stuff. I remember I used to consult with J&J, and I loved that company because they had enormous integrity. When they put out a product that doesn't work, they say, I put out a product that doesn't work. They don't mess around and blame the middleman. But they wanted to take their HR practices. How do we operate in 53 countries? How do we create consistency across 53 countries for HR practices? That question is a killer. It's a death question. You're ignoring culture, ignoring local choice. And so the wish for consistency and control and predictability is the, is the wish for a, a kind of a the end of aliveness and the end of imagination creativity. And it's, it's scary. That's why if I can say it's, I'm anxious, something must be going on. That's a step. And that's why we need each other. That's why it takes two of you to do this show. Because if just one of you did it, after a while, you begin to think you're crazy. And you would get cautious. And you, and, and you would call it the soul of enterprise. How to produce soul on a consistent basis. <laughs> <laughs> but now that there's two of you, you know you're not crazy. You're just foolish. Well, I, it was when I read that I was I was reminded of Thomas Edison supposedly had a plaque in his laboratory that said there ain't no rules around here. We're trying to accomplish something. <laughs> <laughs> we know that we just we 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 just that's we're afraid of scale, and so part of what you're advocating is let scale not be the goal. Let scale occur, but not only do things you can take to scale. Because as soon as you take something to scale, you force it to be the same everywhere it goes. And even producing a tennis shoe is full of surprises. So true. Peter, can you say anything about the new book? The new book is called Activating the Common Good. And I'm trying to create an idea of relational activism. Most people are, don't want to be activists because they're not angry enough. And, and to be an activist, most activists are waiting for someone else's transformation. Top management, the corner office, the president. And I'm saying, stop waiting for someone else's transformation, comma, blank, because we're on air, okay? And say, why don't we reclaim our capacity to produce our own well-being? And so relational is about changing the protocols of how we come together. Excellent. Away from anyway, thank you well, for I can't, asking. I can't wait. Maybe we can have you back on when that book comes out. Talk about that one. But Peter, thank you so much. This is such an honor. Ed, what do we have coming up next week? Next week, Ron, we are going to talk about Mark Andreessen's article, Will AI Save the World? 
Hmm. Excellent. I will see you Absol- in a hundred. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, that's noon Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.